Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 199 of Impact Boom. My name is Carly Daly, and I'm passionate about supporting women's mental health, particularly during the postnatal period, education and social enterprise. Today, we're speaking with Shankar Kazinathan. Shankar Kazinathan's earliest memories are of his family being resettled by a generous neighborhood after finding refugee in Australia. Over the last 15 years, he's been dedicated to building more inclusive and welcoming neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. Today, as an education and community engagement consultant, he is the driving force behind the My New Neighbor campaign. He has worked as a sessional academic at Deakin, Monash, and Charles Darwin Universities. He has developed community engagement and advocacy programs for Oxfam, Transparency International, the National Heart Foundation, and Amnesty International. He has been an advisor to local, state and territory governments, as well as members of cabinet, about diversity and social inclusion strategies, including most recently as Commissioner for Multicultural Affairs in Victoria. Schenker has been invited to present at conferences in the UK, Ireland and Switzerland and has worked extensively across Australia with Aboriginal and refugee communities. He has just gone back to school to complete a Master's in Education. Based in Castle, Maine, he lives and works on Jaja Wurrung country. Shankar, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carly. So could you please share a bit about your background and what led to your work with Amnesty International? So my family and I were privately sponsored as refugees uh, from Sri Lanka you know, back in 1987. My earliest memories of life actually relate to images and stories that I you know, have in my head of, of people that sort of stepped into, literally stepped into our world to help us. I have this image, for example, of an old white gentleman trying to strap me into a seatbelt when I was a four-year-old. And I think, you know, just as we'd come to Australia and I was just, you know, reaching my head off trying to figure out what this seatbelt thing is. Um, but it was, you know, an act of love of someone trying to keep me safe. Um, walking into an empty house, uh, our first home, and our home still 30 years later, and it was completely empty. And there were just random people bringing in furniture and, and filling it with, with donations. So in an important sense, I guess my earliest recollections are um, really reflective of that sort of generosity of neighbourhoods of, of goodness that exists at a local level right across this country. And uh, that stayed with me. And that stayed with me growing up through school, growing up, going to uni. And a couple of years ago, I was offered the opportunity of joining Amnesty International as their refugee campaign coordinator. I mean, before that, I had had various stints of working with refugee communities in the Northern Territory, in Melbourne, uh, in the ACT as an advisor to the Minister for Multicultural Affairs, who was particularly passionate about Jews and asylum seekers in her city and in Canberra. And I brought all that to my role with Amnesty. 
And I was able to take on a new campaign then, build it from scratch, the My New Neighbour campaign, which calls for reform to Australia's community refugee sponsorship scheme. And it was, it was really quite quite ironic that, you know, my, my those early memories and how we my family came to Australia, sponsored by family and, and brought here and resettled here by neighbourhoods that were very generous and, and welcoming, to linking it to now a campaign that's calling for Australia to reform its own community sponsorship model so that we could also bring people here safely and resettle them, which is a, a model driven largely by generous communities and neighbourhoods like the scheme works in Canada and the UK and New Zealand and, you know, and that's the work I'm doing today is is raising awareness of community sponsorship and asking for that model in Australia to be improved so that it's more in line with international best practice, getting support for that across the country. So that's it's sort of one big loop, I guess, is, yeah. is, is where I'm at the moment. Yeah, and so like the My New Neighbour campaign, like from what I've read, it's gained amazing traction and results in a short amount of time. Is that your experience or, or are you seeing it from a different lens? Well, as a campaigner, you you always keep going to you to actually win, and uh, you know we've made certainly progress along the way. But a win for us on the Money Neighbour campaign is for Australia to have its own community sponsorship model that is generous, that is additional humanitarian intake, that that is in line with international best practice and and, and a leader in in the region on on sponsorship. I should probably share a little bit with your listeners about what exactly community sponsorship is. Again, it's it's the ability for communities and neighbourhoods to be able to privately sponsor a refugee or refugee family that are waiting to be resettled and, you know, often maybe in refugee camps or waiting in, you know, second country in limbo who have been assessed by the UN as, as being refugees who are then brought to Australia or assessed by the Australian government and then are brought to Australia by nominating family or community group, etc. And so this is a program and a scheme that has worked in, in Canada for 40 years and 300,000, more than 300,000 PGs have been directly impacted by that scheme. It's taking off in the UK, it's taking off in Ireland, it's taking off in New Zealand and many other countries around the world. And and so in Australia, we have a scheme too, which allows community organisations and groups to be able to bring people here. But the nature of the scheme in Australia is quite limited, you know, instead of the way it works in Canada is that you privately sponsor a refugee family and that's in addition to the Canadian humanitarian intake. Here in Australia, the government has said, well, for every privately sponsored refugee that you and I might sponsor, we're taking away a place from the humanitarian intake in Australia. So it's really like robbing poor to give to Steve. And then on top of that, the costs are extremely high. It's it's like $50,000 for an individual or up to $100,000 for a family, which you can imagine is well and truly beyond the imagination of even our most generous neighbourhood organisations. And then the eligibility criteria is really quite tight as well. So the Mind Your Neighbour campaign since March 2018 has been calling for the improvement and overhaul of Australia's model. And we in that, on that journey have um, gained the support of over 30,000 Australians who have signed a petition calling for improvements. Over 30 local governments right across the country, so that's metropolitan, regional, rural councils that's saying, yes, our neighbourhoods want a chance at this uh, and we would like for this program to be reformed. So the Minister's been getting letters from a range of mayors asking for that. Community organisations, institutional groups, uh, even AFL clubs have been getting behind the campaign calling for the reform of this pathway. So it has 
shown a lot of promise, but as I said, it, it's it's not over till we get what we're yeah. seeking, which is um, we're hopeful that we will get there. You know, the mm-hmm. Australian Labor Party last year uh, at its national conference in 2018 announced that it would overhaul uh, community sponsorship programs program more in line with international best practice if it was elected to government. The Australian Greens followed a week later and also said that they would commit to overhauling the scheme. And just recently, here in 2019, in December, Minister David Coleman committed his government to evaluating the scheme in 2020. So there's all sorts of indications of, of hope and, yes. and we will continue to advocate. And, and I'm very grateful that the campaign, which began with Amnesty International, is soon to become a coalition campaign involving multiple organisations. So the campaign's growing strong, you know, and the, um, I guess, the momentum is building. And I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that one of the great things about this campaign is that it has begin, begun to, to harness the interest and support and active support of refugee communities in Australia particularly, which is really important. You can imagine from their perspective, a number of families and community members desperate to reunite with family and community overseas and and who are stranded and waiting to be resettled. And in the absence of a functioning family reunion program in Australia, many people are going to significant debt to try and use this scheme to reunite with families through our sponsorship program. So they if nobody else, are grateful that there's advocacy happening on on this broken model at the moment. So it's not just the people that we can bring here, it's people here who are very distressed about this scheme currently being broken. So we're very proud of the fact that it's not just people who are standing as allies with refugees, but refugees themselves who are actively involved in this campaign. Yeah, and I think that's so important, you know, that you've got to work with the people that are directly experiencing this. And so, like, on that and your experience with um, refugee communities, what are some of the opportunities in Australia that can ensure inclusiveness and support once we have resettled families here? That's a really important question, Carly. One of the things about community sponsorship, which I'm really excited about, is that when I think about my own journey and my family's journey in Australia, we had friends from day one. We had friends from day one when we landed in this place and and, and networks that were wrapping around us and giving us that that really strong support to to become active citizens and and active members of our community from from the get-go to really feel that, I guess, you know, this word integration, you know, I suppose, of, of how do we bring our diversity and our richness of who we are and live alongside in a strong way with, with other members of our diverse community without losing a sense of ourselves. And and I think that sort of that notion of just strong cohesiveness uh, sort of, I guess, comes with something like community sponsorship. And that's true in, you know, the, a lot of the work that's being done today right across the country. And, and I think community sponsorship has just the potential to really formalise a lot of relationships and initiatives that are already on the ground and very active right across this country. You know, there, you know, from Coffs Harbour to Albury Wodonga, even uh, Armadale, in very conservative and progressive corners of this country, yeah. there are local groups that are saying, look, we've got a need and a desire to do tangible, positive things that can help people step into our communities and, and, and feel like they're a part of it. And, and I think that the, the notion that I'm looking for, I guess, is doing stuff with refugees, not for them yes. or at them. 
Uh, it's, it's that active sense of being able to create communities with our new neighbours walking alongside us and giving them a sense of agency in that. It's it's not sort of saying, oh, look, you should be grateful that we've saved you or, you know, done this thing for you, but, you know, let's help each other build stronger and more resilient, inclusive communities for the future. And I think that's what the potential is about community sponsorship if we and just have a decent model in Australia, I think that it's it's going to have a much bigger impact. And I think that's what we've seen in Canada is that, you know, for the 300,000 refugees that were directly impacted, mm. we need to think about the 3 million Canadians that were actively involved in resettling their new neighbours. And, and that's the figure that I think about and hope for for Australia. Yeah. And I think exactly what you said, It's this is learning opportunity for, for everyone to it's not about oh this is what we can do for you you're so lucky it's like well how can we work together and learn from each other because there is so much that we still don't know and so I guess around that you know is there a language and a process that we should be using to engage stakeholders like I know you've got your my new neighbor campaign but like you know what can we do to to see this positive social change I guess just as Australian citizens I think some people get a bit fearful of being offensive in some way look there's there's many ways to look at that question I suppose and and I think one thing that we think about on the campaign constantly is reminding everybody that's engaging in media and social media that as much as the media or some parts of the media might want us to think that no one in Australia wakes up wanting to be cruel, actively cruel to refugees, maybe one or two exceptions, but no one by and large wants to be nasty. And so there's a bit of a communications breakdown in this country. And I think that we need to address that breakdown. And and, and the part of that is looking at the stories and focusing on the stories of resettlement, focusing on the stories of how people are being supported, focusing on the stories of tangible initiatives that are taking place every single day right across this country um, which support successful resettlement of refugees. And I think that is a big focus for us, is, is how do we make sure that we get the stories of tangible, active solutions out there so we've been doing a lot of work on that. Now, not often do tangible positive stories get media traction in the way that crisis stories do, but I think that's the responsibility that we have is to keep pushing the good news, is keep pushing the positive things that are happening so that people can be able to address it themselves and, and get that sense of, oh, this is something that I can do to help this situation. I often get invited to speak about um, the work that I'm doing and I, and I talk, try to talk about the fact that, yes, we've got this massive global humanitarian crisis with refugees right across the world. But here's a local solution to that. And here's something that could work and it's based on evidence, it's based on demonstrated performance elsewhere and there's goodness in Australia to back it up as well. So it's about reframing the conversation and seeing people as neighbours wanting to build community and not as us and them or someone from a third world or, you know, being able to create those divisions in our head, which sometimes make the problem much bigger than it is mm. and, and beyond our, our reach and our scope when actually we're talking about our neighbours or our potential future neighbours and the pathways to make them come and join us in our neighbourhoods. So it's I think the language that we think about is, is very much about how do we humanise the people that we're talking about here mm. and how do we make it link back to everyday things that make us tick in Australia. I've, I've spent a lot of time on the road with the campaign and there's one thing that is common right across this country and it is that we would do anything for our neighbours and, and I think that's that 
sort of spirit which is underpinning the My New Neighbour campaign. And it's exactly what you said. It's human-to-human connection and it's reframing the conversation. That That is what we need to do. And it sounds like... It sounds like so many people are doing that anyway, but sometimes maybe we just need a little bit of a reminder. So that's really cool. So yeah, talking about you being a speaker, you're speaking at New Kind Conference this coming January in Marion Bay, Tasmania. And um, we just want to know, what are you most excited about for this? I think when you're on the campaign trail, I think the first thing that you, you know, if anyone listening has had this experience, I'm sure that you've had this experience as well with the work that you've done. And it's just you can get really lost in your own sort of theory of change and and the work that's happening, and you become really passionate and wedded to it. And I think that one of the things that conferences like you kind offer is the insight and the ability to hear what other people are doing and the methods and ways they're going about doing it. I think that's been pretty cool, pretty critical for me is constantly learning and checking yourself on the campaign trail and going, hey, what else could I be doing better? Am I using the right language? Could I be doing more testing? You know, that sort of education that we need to be able to offer ourselves, I think, is really, really important around listening to other uh, peers and and also just being able to connect with people and test new ideas against an audience as well to see how they resonate with it. I think, for me, conferences is certainly being useful in that way and I, I'm certainly looking forward to, to going back a second time to Irfan Deliri's new, new Kind Conference and, and being able to look at, yeah, what else other people are doing but also share the kind of work that I've been doing and, and try and get some immediate feedback from the people that said my workshop. Yeah, feedback and the energy. It's, it's so nice to be around social change makers you know I feel like you come back with a renewed sense of like yes I am doing the right thing this feels good and I think there's a there's a lot of um, merit in a conference like New Kind. So which social enterprises um, do you believe are doing a great job at tackling social cultural environmental problems? So the kind of social enterprises that I come to to my mind the ones that sort of bring people along the journey from a different range of perspectives so you know I, I live here in, in Castle Main in central Victoria and and down the road in Bendigo is an initiative called the African Food Safari that's um, supported by the, the local ethnic community council Bendigo a uh, lot in capacity multicultural services and their African Food Safari project which they're supporting is a an initiative of uh, local African women who have created a catering business which is focused on uh, serving the immediate community. And it's a, an initiative which basically connects things funny that we all love, food with their culture and history and story as emerging community in, in central Victoria to the, the broader sort of growing diverse story of, of uh, Bendigo. And it's, it's just something really tangible where people can come together over food. It's something that everyone does, you know, caters for food or provides food for events. And here, here are this amazing group of women doing this uh, initiative which addresses a need for them, employment, and at the same time, fosters, I guess, a, a strong community connection. And I've seen that the same kind of initiative happen as well in, in a place called Ceres in, 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 in Melbourne. Tamil Feasts is, is another sort of social enterprise mm-hmm. which supports recently um, settled asylum seekers through food and culture. And, and that's, you know, a group of Tamil men uh, currently seeking asylum in Australia. And again, it's, it's, it's making sort of something that we've always enjoyed across culture coming together and eating food and connecting it to a social issue or a, or a challenge and making everyone feel a part of it. So it's, it's that sort of sense of being able to, in a non-threatening way, 
insert questions and conversation about some common challenges in the community through something that's fun and enjoyable, uh, such as dinner time. And it create, food is community building. Like, you know, you see it all around the exactly. world that people come together and share meals on the street and it's just, it is an instant community builder in a non-threatening way. Well, that's right. And, and I think that, you know, you're talking about communication before and engagement. I think that, you know, it is being able to look at the positive framing, look at the solutions, look at the tangible things that we can do in the face of frustration all around us uh, sometimes. And and what's really concrete about these ideas is that you can touch it, you can feel it, you can hear it, you can smell it, you can taste it. And it's all of us doing it together when we come together for the African Food Safari or Tamil Feasts in Melbourne and, and other, and I'm sure there's many, many other initiatives like this. But I mean, when you think about social enterprise, that's what, what comes to mind is, yeah. is something that people quickly understand, stays with them, and hopefully they learn something from it that they take forward. Yeah, for sure. All right, to finish off, we would love to know what books or resources you might recommend to our listeners. Sure. So there's a couple of books that come to mind for me, and I, I really do also value you know podcasts like yours. But the two books that come to mind for me, they're a little bit out of the box, but they probably say a little bit about what I guess the journey that I think that people been on the Mind Your Neighbour campaign and, and, and certainly refugee campaigning broadly. It's a novel by Julian Barnes, and it's called A Sense of an Ending. And the reason I'm nominating that book here today is because. This book by Julian Barnes looks at how over time, over the course of our lives, we look back at things differently. We realise that how we're understanding things and perceiving things and reacting to things today, as we mature and experience life, we may well change later on and have different perspectives. And I think that when I talk to many people and, and engage with many communities across Australia the, even the very sort of experience of community sponsorship has just changed people completely in terms of what they saw first and then how they've sort of seen things differently. And I think that what we sometimes forget is just, I mean, it seems so obvious, but this book really for me, looking through the, the story and the life of, of, uh, of the uh, protagonist, you get to really journey through, wow, how how confronting is it to, to know that we thought we knew it all and then actually didn't and actually how far off we were and that's I think it's not just you know uh, as a campaigner going in enlightening communities but as a campaigner being enlightened about what I thought was really really important how to get the job done and then learning a lot more about the communities that I was working in and you know that sort of I think is something that's really driven home so you know a good example of that for me is when you start out as a refugee campaigner or activist you you look at a place like I don't know Queensland and generalizing now but I was like a bit frightened of Queensland going out there and campaigning and I had a lot of friends sort of warning me and cautioning me but you know went there and sat down with people and and realized that regional Queenslanders and people out there had all very legitimate concerns and questions that we just needed to engage and so it's it's, it's sort of I guess what Julian Barnes does in, in the sense of an ending for me is just that sort of reminder of Life is a maturing process and we need to reserve judgment and we need to, you know, really be cautious about passing judgment until we have got insights and experiences of the other side and, and what people are saying. And I think that's very, very important to, 
advocates and social change makers is listening and listening and listening and knowing that maybe we haven't got the whole picture. The second book that I would recommend to our community is The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. And again, it's a little different to maybe books that you've had uh, recommended, but the work I do is is pretty intense. As a person with lived experience and from a refugee background, I take my work very seriously and, and, uh, and there's no sometimes switch off that and and it's largely because you just you know you don't you're not you don't feel like you're really winning till yes. till you're actually bringing people safely to Australia and 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 changing policy and and all of that stuff and and what Dr Russ Harris does in in this book The Happiness Trap is that he really looks at getting us to to lose that sense of perfection of of the 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 notion of you know that we're chasing something that is going to make us happier, that we actually should be more comfortable with a whole bunch of a, a range of emotions and feelings that, that aren't normal. And I guess chasing after that green hill is is perhaps more destructive to us than we realise. So I think that the message there for me is we really need to look after ourselves on, on the campaign trail. We need to look after ourselves when we are actively seeking to to do the work we're doing because we need to yeah, first be healthy so that we can help others and, 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 and do this work. And it's not just about, I know there's a lot of diehard campaigners out there, myself included, that sometimes think it's it's we're just busting our guts out and, and that's just what we need to do. But we have an impact on others that are working with us as well and we need to look out for how we are in the context of other people around us and, and, and the people that come to daily contact with us as well. So... Yeah, look yeah, after ourselves and, and that's the happiness trap I think does that. Yeah, in, it's, in it's interesting you say that book. I read that many years ago and I think, yeah, I need to revisit that. That's really important. If you're interested in coming to New Kind Conference, we have a special coupon code for Impact Boom listeners. Mention Impact Boom for 20% off tickets from www.newkindconference.com. Shankar, thank you so much for your generous insights and time. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in Tasmania and it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Carly. It's good to be here. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. 